You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. After 50 years in exile, discouragement reigned. Only a remnant of Israelites had returned to Jerusalem to rebuild the temple, a fraction of the number initially taken captive. For most, Babylon had become their home. There had been news of the temple's reconstruction, but the latest word was that construction had come to a halt. This once exciting task had become a pit of discouragement. The people's zeal dwindled. For 16 years, God's house stood empty, unfinished, and ignored. What was enthusiastically started was left alone, forgotten. Then the word of the Lord came to a new prophet, Haggai. Little Books with a Big Punch is a series that we're in where we're looking at a number of of writings from, from prophets that we don't always turn to. These are, are little books that are at the end of the Old Testament, right before you get to the New Testament. And if you're looking for the book of Haggai, you're going to find it stuck between two books with Z, Zephaniah and Zechariah, and almost right next to Matthew. So if you go to Matthew, you want to flip back a couple of pages, you'll find the book of Haggai. It's a couple of chapters long. Now, the Old Testament prophets, these um, what we call the minor prophets. Most of them spoke a very specific word in a very specific period of time to a very specific issue. And, and so that's why one of the things they do is when, when you have that sense of specificity, there you go, specificity, they have a pointed message, and so it doesn't take them very long to get to their point. Haggai is a prophet who speaks during about five months, starting in August of 520 BC and finishing up in December. He has four different moments when he comes along to some leaders in Jerusalem and he wants to give them a message. Essentially, as we heard on the video, and, and a big shout out to Schweitzer Creative for, for the introductions to these, um, to these books, Haggai uh, is writing to a group of people who at one time were in in Babylon, and they had been taken to Babylon, and many of them had been born in Babylon, and then returned as a part of the return of, of Zerubbabel, who was now the governor. He was put in place by the Babylonian leaders to be the governor over Palestine and over Jerusalem. And so Zerubbabel had led a number of people back in 538 BC, and he found other people who had never been taken into captivity who were already living there. And as they came back in 538, they came back with a sense of a mission to, to reestablish, to rebuild the city of Jerusalem and to give it life again, the city that they loved, the city that they had a connection to. They came back and they started to build homes and started to build houses. And as the video said, for 16 years or almost 20 years, the, the temple was left to lay as it was. And so the Lord sent Haggai with a message to Zerubbabel and to the to uh, the chief priest at the time, whose name was Joshua. And he said, I, I have a message for you, and I want you to begin to work on the temple. Now, I've got a picture of what the temple may have looked like at the time. This, this is a picture I took about 
I don't know, seven, eight days ago, I, w- I was, I just returned from a trip to Israel. And so I've got a few pictures from that, that moment with me. And I'm a little jacked up because of it, because I got to see all kinds of things. I won't, I won't uh, tell you too much in this time. But this is um, the Western Wall uh, in, in Jerusalem and the southern corner of the Western Wall. And these were rocks from the wall that the Romans, when they, when they attacked Israel and when they attacked Jerusalem in 70 AD, they went up to the top of the Temple Mount that was, that was built there and they pushed the walls, the exterior walls over and they just leveled all the walls that were around the Temple Mount. And these rocks have been there since 70 AD. And they've, the walls now have been rebuilt, but they, they did it with different rocks. But when Zerubbabel and Joshua hear this, this story, this call to be at work about rebuilding the temple, one of the things that they face is they face dealing with rocks like this, rocks that have been torn apart, uh, tumbled over, and walls that are maybe partly finished, uh, partway up, but there's a lot of work for them to do. And so Haggai comes, and that's going to be the thrust of his entire message. It's about this project of building the walls. And, and so one of the, the things that the Lord says to, uh, to Haggai, or through Haggai to Joshua and Zerubbabel is this. Um, have we got that text there? He says this. Um, I see where you're at, that you're living in luxurious houses while my house lies in ruins. This is what the Lord of Heaven's army says. Look at what's happening to you. You've planted much, but harvest little. You eat, but you're not satisfied. You drink, but are still thirsty. You put on clothes, but you cannot keep warm. Um, Your wages disappear as though you were putting them in pockets filled with holes. What Haggai's really saying here to Zerubbabel and to Joshua, because they're leaders and they have a capacity to speak to other people, is this. He says, um, you've got got all kinds of capacity. I've got a bunch of friends and family that, that just walked in the back. Sorry. Uh, hi, folks. It's good to have you here. Um, he's saying, uh, I see what you've done, but there's something I want you to do. And the reason he comes to leaders is because leaders have impact. Leaders have influence. Leaders have the capacity to get people moving in a certain direction. And the people of, of Jerusalem have just stalled out. They, they returned. They built nice things, but they haven't continued on with the temple. And here's why the temple matters to what God is up to. Because God wants a place, desires a place, a place where people can connect with him in every generation, a way in which there's a tangible expression of God's goodness, of God's um, presence, and in a way in which we can connect with God. Now, we have that, don't we? A number of us have ways in which we can connect with God in terms of tangible ways. We've got the scriptures. We've got a a place like a church building. We've got, in a little bit, we'll have the elements of communion, tangible ways in which which God expresses himself to us. That's part of what we call the incarnation, where God's grace is real. We can see it. We can touch it. We can feel it. And with the temple not present, that tangibility, that incarnation was missing And so God was passionate about having that place rebuilt. Well, if you think about it today, um, we don't necessarily have that same tangible need like what Haggai talked to Zerubbabel and Joshua about because we've got some great places. And so we have to ask the question, as we read through Haggai, if if you take, go home this afternoon and read through Haggai, you have to begin to ask your question, what's the message that Haggai would want us to hear, that the Lord would want us to hear through Haggai? What's that sense of calling? Where does it connect with us? And I think it connects with us in a place of leadership. 
because Haggai goes to the leaders of Israel at the time. Now, I'd like to just ask you a question. Do you consider yourself a leader? A lot of people do, and a lot of people don't. I would like to suggest to you that everybody is a leader at some point in their life. Everybody has a capacity, and everybody uh, walks into a place of leadership. In my house, there are six of us who live there, and my youngest, uh, the youngest person in our house is Kyrie. She's, she's nine years old, our youngest daughter. And Kyrie is, is a leader. Uh, probably a year, year and a half ago, maybe a little bit longer than that, she began what she called the funny list. She created this funny list where she ranked everybody in our house in terms of who was funniest, the most funniest to the least funniest. And I don't know how I got this, this position, but I always rank as the top funniest person in our house, which I don't think I am, but that's where I stand on her list. And when other people try and hone in on her list or give their thoughts on, on the list, how the list is constructed, Kyrie says, no way, Jose. You know, it's like she's willing to take them to federal court to protect her copyright seal on this list. She leads. She's a nine-year-old kid. She leads. Everybody leads. We all lead in some form or fashion. There was a, a writer a couple years ago in 2011. He came out with a book. Um, let's go with that graphic. His name's, his name's on the screen. James, James Schooler. Uh, well, I can't pronounce his last name. Maybe you can. Uh, but he, he created this, talked about how we all lead in three different areas. Uh, some of us lead in, we've got a personal life. And you know what it's like to lead in your personal life, right? We all lead there, like we determine what we're going to eat and when we're going to go to sleep or when we're going to wake up. We determine all kinds of things. And, and sometimes we can, we can take real uh, passivity around leading ourselves. And when we take passivity around ourselves, we just let stuff happen. We feel like... Um, we're just letting stuff happen to us. But after a while, then you begin to feel like a victim. And we're really not victims. We all have the capacity. We all have the responsibility and the charge with leading, taking charge of, of ourselves. And so we all have a place where we uh, can lead in all kinds of ways, personally. And then we have private places where we lead with one-on-one -on -one interactions, where we can bring a sense of influence, where, where we can bring interaction. And and leading in this place doesn't mean that we have a sense of office or we have a title, but it simply means is that we let the influence that God has given us be exerted and be expressed. And then many of us, some of us lead at some form or fashion in the public arena. And we can lead in public arenas, whether that's with a small group of people that we're around or whether we're in a working environment or some people have significant platforms in public spaces. But you can really look at leadership as something that is expressed either at the personal level, the private level, or the public level. And so everybody in this room, from the oldest to the youngest, I would suggest to you that there's some place where you're a leader. Or if you're not leading, you're called to be a leader. And Haggai, when he talks to Zerubbabel and Joshua, he's talking to people who are leading. And He's got some great advice, but it's not just Haggai's great advice. It's really God's great wisdom that comes through Haggai to people who have to lead in certain places. So we're going to look at four different, at these four talks that Haggai gives because they, they give us um, some really good counsel, four different places. The first place is with this idea that the temple is in ruins. And one of the things that it just seems God brings us up, and so Haggai repeats it, but God hears the people who have walked around the temple and they've seen the ruins, they've seen the temple in ruins, 
And it's as if God says, I've heard the people say, the time isn't right to build the temple. Have you ever been at a place in your own life where you know there's something that needs to be done, but you just don't want to step into it? You just don't want to attack it? You're happy with the status quo. You're happy with the way things are, kind of, but you know that it's not fully right. One of the images I got to see in Israel was um, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre, one of the places we went. And the Church of the Holy Sepulchre is one of the traditional sites um, where they think that both Jesus may have been crucified and then close by, buried. And so there's both within this great big building, there's a place where you can go and they can say, we think about here's maybe where he was crucified and over here is where he was uh, put in a tomb and then resurrected. One of the traditional sites. And this church is governed by four different Christian bodies. Um, back, and back in the 1800s, in the 1880s, these four different bodies with a little different um, perception, they all got together and they decided who was going to be in control of these different segments within the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and how they were going to give leadership to it and what was going to have to happen, what kind of conversations they were going to have to have if they wanted to make a change within the church. And they drew up almost like a treaty between these four different um, groups and they spoke about everything within the building except one thing. On the outside, the one door, there's a ladder. You see that ladder that's there? They, they, they included everything that was in that place except the ladder. Now this convocation, this gathering took place in the 1880s. Since that time, nobody has laid a hand on that ladder. That ladder has stood by that window for 130 years. The status quo has not changed. And nobody is stepping up to say, you know, maybe we don't need a ladder by that window. <laughs> Nobody wants to address it to take it on. Maybe that's not such a big thing. But I'm going to guess that in all of our lives, that there's something that we know that just isn't quite right. And... And it'd be easier to just stay with the status quo. But leaders are, called, leaders are called to say, you know what, the status quo just isn't right. Because in the status quo, we're not being all that God's made us to be. or We're not, we're not living into the best place that God would have us live. So leaders have to be able to call out and say, the status quo just won't do anymore. And that's what Haggai really does. And he serves as a mouthpiece to Zerubbabel and to Joshua. And he's saying, really, guys? The status quo of the temple being torn apart just won't last. We've got to do something. And so they begin to take action. And one of my friends uh, from years ago, he, he would make this statement. You know, um, God loves to give direction. But God has a terrible time trying to steer a car that's not moving. And so you've got to start taking action if you want God to steer your car, to steer your life. And so they begin to move. And then this is where the second conversation takes place. The second conversation is God notices that Zerubbabel and Joshua, they've heard the word from Haggai and they begin to set things in motion, whether they begin to call other people around and have discussions or meetings, we don't really know. But the Lord just comes back through Haggai and he says, um, the Lord's messenger gave this 
uh, gave the people this message from the Lord. I'm with you. God just notices that they're, that they're doing something. And so he says, I am with you. Now, there's a, there's a piece in that that we, we see God giving confirmation to those who are putting their foot out and, and to making steps forward. And confirmation is important. It's important in, in big decisions. It's also important in, in little decisions. But you'd like to know that you're heading in the right direction. We all would like to know that we're heading in the right direction, right? Because it's one thing to head out somewhere, but you don't want to have to backtrack. You don't want to have to, at the end of the day, say, man, I tried something and it was just a total flop. You want to know that you're, you're moving in the right direction. And that's what God does. He comes along through Haggai and he says, I see where you're at and I'm with you. I had some friends who a year ago were worth, um, they were happy with where they were at. They were loving life. They were loving the work that they were called to. And then out of the blue, they got a phone call. And the phone call said, we'd like to have you think about moving. And they're like, nope, thanks, not interested. And they hung up. And then about a month later, the phone call came again. And they're like, no, we're really serious. We don't, we're not interested. And they said, well, would you just listen to this offer for a little bit? Would you just listen to us? Okay, so they listened. And they listened some more, and they're like, well, maybe we should just go take a visit. So they went and they took a visit. And they were feeling a sense of unease about that. And then their son had ordered a video game. And our friends were living in Michigan at the time, and the the opportunity they were looking at was in New York. And his son opened the video game, and he put it in. And the first thing that popped up on the video game was these words, New York needs you. And he's like... What? And so he goes up to his dad. And he said, Dad, come and look at this video game. And he's like, New York needs you. And my friend is like, I've never taken direction or confirmation from a video game before. But I think, what in the world? How could this be orchestrated? And uh, I don't know that video games are great places to hear God speak. But in that moment, where they were getting a number of other points of God's message and God's encouragement and God's confirmation from other people, it seemed to be just like the capstone of everything. Like God was just affirming that what they were hearing and the place in which they were moving was a place where they should be headed. Um, I've often found in my own life that when I've got a decision to make and I'm brewing about it, somehow, some way. If I stay open to people whose hearts are really open to God, and if I've got people around me who love God and seek after God's face, before long, through maybe one or two or three people, God will just bring a word that they don't even know that they're talking about, something significant, and it will speak like an arrow into my heart that I was not expecting, where God will confirm some stuff. Maybe there's a question that you're wrestling with. Maybe there's a decision you face. Maybe there's, um, there's just something out in the world in front of you, and you've been wrestling with it for a while. Know this, that if you begin to move in that direction, if you think it's a direction God's leading you to, God will find a way to let you know if it's the right thing or the wrong thing. He'll find a way to confirm things to let you know that, because God is close to us, and he's active with us. And if you're willing to take up the responsibility of leadership, God is somebody who's willing to come alongside of you and speak with a very active voice. So Joshua and Zerubbabel and the people, they begin to get at work. They begin to get stones and move stones out of the way, and they begin to set stones in place. And then 
God is paying attention to what is happening in Jerusalem. And he hears this, um, he hears the heart cry of the people. Because as they work on this temple, they realize, some of them realize that this is not going to be the temple like the one that Solomon built. And the temple of Solomon that he finished was a temple that was known throughout the entire world as a glorious structure. It was covered in gold and silver, and, and it was just beautiful. And as the people are in the middle of working on the temple that's in front of them, they think to themselves, this is a pitiful sight. And so the word that we hear, the thing that we read is in Haggai chapter 2. Go ahead and put that up. Where the Lord comes again and he says, I hear you asking this question or you're ruminating on it. Does anyone remember this house, this temple in its former splendor? How in comparison does it look to you now? It's like, it seems like nothing at all. And God knows that the people are thinking these thoughts and saying these words like, I'm putting my hand to the plow, but it is not what I expected. And how in the world did I get in the middle of this? Um, have you ever started a project that you were really excited about? And then after a while in the middle of it, you just are looking for the exit sign, like you're saying, how do I get out of this thing? Or <clears throat> it's always fun to start something. It's always fun to finish something. But Pastor Bob talks about having the noonday blues where you just get tired in the middle of the, of the, of the day. I uh, <clears throat> started a project about six years ago yeah, six years ago now, the project was, my, was, was working on a doctoral degree. And part of a doctoral degree is you've got to write a dissertation. And so about five years ago, I had the first part of that dissertation started. And I <clears throat> worked and worked and I worked. And about three years ago, I was in the middle of this dissertation, full on in the middle of it, and I was stuck. You know, stuck where it's like, I just want to throw this away, just walk away from it and not complete it. Well, what do you do when you're in those places and you're called to lead? One of the, one of the grace things that I had in my life was I had a team of people that I had been asked to put together who would be around me and who'd ask me questions like, how's your dissertation going? And they would pray for you and encourage you. And so I had about six people here at Schweitzer that I'd called into that team and and every now and again, they would say, how's your dissertation going? I hated that question because I knew that I was stuck and I didn't, I didn't know what to do. And, and then uh, Nancy Curry, who was one of the people on my team, said, send me what you got. I want to read what you have. And I'm like, I don't have much. She's like, send me whatever you have. I want to read what you have. And she'd read it. And she's like, it's good. Well, keep pressing on. Keep pressing on. And, and she'd say, I'm praying for you. And other people on my team would say, I'm praying for you. And it was through those. Wow, where's that from? I don't know. There's in those moments that there is strength to keep going because it was worth it. And it needed to be done. It needed to be done for, for me, for my family, for the church. It needed to be done for a lot of people. And so today, there's, this is my dissertation. 
thanks. Uh, but it was a team effort. And not just that team, but my family who get past in the question. So what for you is there? What's in your life that you are in the middle of and you're like, ah, I'd like an exit door. I don't know if I can keep going here. Maybe it is, maybe you need a team of people around you who will pray for you, encourage you, and just keep pressing on you. Not to give up, but to press through that place. Because God says, you know what? You think it's not going to be what you really want it to be. But keep working on it. Because the Lord came at, back after that and he said, you don't, have, you don't have all the goods that you need, but I'm going to provide them. You don't, have, you don't have the ornamentation that you think that you need, but I'm going to make a way. God says, I see where you're at. Keep pressing forward. Press on. And I would encourage you, if you're in that spot, find five or six people who are really good encouragers, who are really good people who will pray for you, and just ask them to do that. Well, Zerubbabel and Joshua, they keep pressing on. And so then there comes the fourth day in December, the last time that Haggai talks. He comes to Zerubbabel and he says, I'll honor you, Zerubbabel, son of Shelatiel, my servant. I'll make you like uh, a signet ring on my finger, for I've chosen you. I, the Lord of heaven's armies, have spoken. Uh, what happens here is something that Jesus gives to us in a parable. In the, in the Gospel of, of Matthew, he talks about a servant who's not always a very good servant, but then he does something that's kind of unique and wise. And so his master looks at him and he says, you are a wise servant and you have some really good skills and he said, I've noticed that you've been faithful in few things, and so I want to make you faithful in many things. And the Lord looks at Zerubbabel's um, work, and he looks at Zerubbabel's leadership, and he says, Zerubbabel, you've begun to put in motion a, a plan where people will be able to come to Jerusalem and connect with me. And he says, I have chosen you, and I'm, I'm going to give you like a signet ring. I'm going to give you some authority because your sense of leading others is going to expand. And in some further way, I'm gonna help lead other people through you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring other people to me to connect with me. Uh, when I was returning from Israel, I was thinking about that, uh, thinking about Haggai, thinking about all kinds of things related uh, to, to Israel, the country. And I got on the plane and a couple rows behind me, there was a dad and, and his daughter, 20-something-year-old daughter. And we struck up a conversation. And I found out that they were from Columbia, Missouri. And, and this dad had taken his daughter to Israel. And I said, so what made you take your daughter to Israel? He said, well, this is the third of four kids that I've taken to Israel. And I decided some time ago that I just wanted to take all of my kids, one at a time, to Israel to show them the Holy Land. I said, that was really, that's really interesting. He said, uh, Great time, great experiences each and every time. And then on Monday, I was on a conference call, and I told some of the people on the call that I'd been to Israel. Another guy says, yeah, I've, I've been there too. And he said, I took my son, and one of the other people on the conference call said, why did you take your son? He said, as I looked at his world, as I listened to him converse, I noticed that Hogwarts was very real to him. 
Hogwarts, you know, the Harry Potter world was the, like, he lived in that world as if it was the realest of real things he could get his mind around. But then when we read scripture, this was like an ancient story that he thought was almost mythological. He said, so I decided that I wanted to show him what was really real. So I took my son to Israel to show him the places where Jesus walked, to show him things so old that we can't even imagine it because we live in a country that's only, what, 230, 240 years old? To take him and see something that's, that was built in the 700s BC or before that. There's all kinds of things like that. He said, I wanted to show him the places where Jesus walked. As I listened to those two dads talk about a sense of vision and leading their own kids, I thought, what is the Lord calling me to do? How is the Lord giving me influence and authority in my own family to not only pass along the faith, but to pass along something that's vivacious and alive and marvelous? How does the Lord want to expand my own sense of responsibility? How does God want to do it in your life? How does God want to take what he's given to you and he's entrusted to you. As he finds you faithful with some things, how does he want to expand your sense of influence? Where does he want to give you a ring? Where you won't use it to be a ruler, but you'll use it to be somebody who blesses other people and leads in those ways. Um, so they, they grow in trust. Zerubbabel grows in trust. We can grow in trust. And we can grow in our sense of leading. And God, in fact, invites us to those places. And he meets us in those places where he says, if you follow after me, if you listen to me, I'll take you to places where you lead and you lead well. And you'll lead in ways in which people connect with the Lord of the universe. This morning, as a part of our worship, we're going to, we're going to come to the table of the Lord. We have that option for us. Where we hear again and we see again and we touch again that Jesus is for us and he's for the world because he takes the bread and he takes the cup and he says, this is my body and this is my blood that is broken and poured out for you. A lot of people don't know that in this world. And we get to be recipients of it. And so this morning as we get to encounter God, let us be people of thankful hearts. And let us also be people who are committed uh, to telling the story of Jesus in our own world, in the world around us. Are there a couple of people who are gonna help us this morning, yeah, come forward. And as you do, let's pray. Kind Father, thank you for this day. And thank you for the word, that, your word that comes through the prophet Haggai and connects with us in the place where we live. For you know those places where, where your leadership and the gift of your life needs to be expressed. So speak to each and every one of us, Jesus. Speak to us as we're in this place of worship, as we 
encounter you in the bread and the cup. Speak to us with a word of challenge, with a word of confirmation, with the word of of your provision, of perseverance. And speak to us in ways in which you want to do things that we can't think or imagine at this moment. But you can. Draw us close to your heart and help us be people who bear your heart in the world. It's in your name we pray with great thanksgiving. Amen and amen. As KJ and the band leads us, you're welcome to come and receive the elements of communion. You're welcome to go and make a prayer at the prayer wall or pray in the prayer room with somebody. There'll be somebody there. Let's enter into worship as the Lord invites you as you respond.